You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, let's get our Bibles out and uh, turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As uh, we launch a new series this fall, uh, We the Church, We the Church, challenging the church to be the church. Uh, The goal around here is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the great commandment. And over the next uh, five weeks, we're gonna take a look uh, back to some basic things about what we believe and stand on as a church. And for the next four weeks, we'll be taking a look at the four pillars. And then in the fifth week, we'll be taking a look at the three W's, how we worship, walk, and work together as we grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, Someone asked the question this week, do we believe we're the only church? Are we the only church? Okay, this is Harvest Bible Chapel. If we believed we were the only church, it would say, we, the only church. Okay, we're not the only church. We're the church. And the church that God has called together here. And he's called us to some things and he's called us to do some things. We don't have a a corner on the truth. This is the truth. But we're gonna be about this and we're gonna be focused on this. So we aren't the only church, but we are the church. And, uh, and so as we explore this and look at it, today we want to take a look at the first pillar, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. The message title is unapologetic preaching. Unapologetic preaching. What does it mean? Who's called to it? And what difference will it make for you as followers of Jesus Christ for being here, hearing the preaching of the word? And then what are you called to and being a part of preaching the word as well. So I trust you've got your Bibles open now. We want to honor God as we read his word. So let's stand together. We'll honor him as we read. Follow along as I start at uh, verse one. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing privilege we have to, again, stand here in this place with your word in our hands and to be challenged by it today. Not empty words, not some kind of a fictitious book, the very word of God we have. And so, Lord, as we consider the things you've called us to your church, Father, we pray that we would have ears to listen and minds to understand And then, Lord, because of the transforming work of your spirit, we would have hearts with a passion to live out the truth of your word for the glory and the fame of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, unapologetic preaching is the title. And uh, so let's just dive right into the text and see some things about it. Here's the first thing. A proclamation is critical. 
Proclamation is critical. Look what it says in verses one and two. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Proclamation is critical. He starts out by saying, I would remind you, brothers. So he's going through, he's writing his letter, he's kind of laying it all out for them, and then he comes to this, I would remind you, brothers. This is one of those, okay, church, listen up, take note, sit up straight. It's time for a review. I would remind you, brothers. I would remind you, brothers. There's a reminder. Then there's a reminder of the message. He said, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I'd remind you of the gospel or the good news. That's what gospel means. I would remind you of the gospel. We're gonna come back to that a little bit later in the message, but I'd remind you of the gospel. And then he says about the process that I preached to you, that I preached to you. And so you're sitting there today going, yeah, give it to us, pastor, give it to us because this is for you to do. Mm, Yeah, there's more coming because this is partly your responsibility too that I preach to you, it means, the word literally means to address with good news. We have the best news in the world and we're called to preach the good news. That's what God has called us to. In First Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 to 5, it says, preach the word, Paul talking to the young Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I would remind you of the good news that I preached to you. Well, what was the result of that? Well, it's found right in the text. It says that which you received, which you received. The gospel is only a benefit if you receive it. Uh, People come to church all the time and they hear a message and they think about it and uh, maybe you uh, grew up in a church and, and you've never received the message. You come and you hear it, but you're not receiving it. You're not making it your own. And as Paul says, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, you personally took it in. It became personal part of your life. You came into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The question today for you, as you consider the preaching of the word is, have you done that? Have you received The word, have you received it? The second thing it says is in which you, in which you stand, in which you stand. See, here's the cool thing in my life. I was about eight years old when I was in church and heard a message on preparing to go on a trip. And uh, obviously the trip was to heaven and that's what I'll, that's all I remember about the message. And I went home and I asked my mom about that. And, and so I'd had a sermon preached at me and, and my mom preached again at me. She, she gave me the good news. And that night I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my savior. I received the gift. I received the good news. But as an eight-year-old and now as a 57-year-old, I stand in that truth. 
What God did for me when I was eight years old was sufficient for what I need today. And that's where my standing is. I'm so thankful I don't have to stand up here before you and even worse than that, stand before God one day with a standing based on my merit and what I've done. I don't stand in any of that. I stand in what Christ has done and what he has accomplished for me. And so the gift, the message, the truth of the gospel, which I received, I now stand in that. And that is my hope. It says, in which you received, in which you stand, and then it says, in which you are being saved. In which you are being saved. And some people will go, well, do we get saved every day? Do we, get, do we have to get saved over and over again? No, no, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's done. It happens once. But we're being saved every day. He didn't say, he didn't say, you're not getting saved. He said, which you received, in which you stand, which you are being saved. And God's salvation is being worked out in my life every day. I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I was before because I'm saved and I'm being saved every day. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation. That was done for you in Jesus Christ. He says, work out your salvation. The thing that is in you, now work it out. Other people can see it. Other people can be blessed by it. And same principle we see here in this text in which you are being saved. Well, that all comes because of proclamation. The word needs to be said. The word needs to be heard. Well, how do we preach? How do we preach? Here's three things I want you to consider. We preach corporately. Uh, what we're doing here today. Uh, it's public. It's corporate. Um, uh, they're finished now, but they watched the, the video that we taped here last night up in Newmarket. And that was a corporate preaching. If you couldn't get to church today, you could watch this service on live stream. And, and that would be a corporate way that we preach the word. We preach the word in Harvest Kids and in Harvest Youth and Young Adults and Men's and Women's and in our small groups. And in that sense, there's a corporate message that's going out and and that's important. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We need to come together as the body of Christ. We need to spur each other on to love and good deeds. We need to hear the word, preach the word. Preach the word. It's corporate. And it needs to happen like that. And, and that's important for us as we learn. But it doesn't stop there. Because if it stops there, then I'm the only one responsible in the room right now for any communication of the word. And that's just not true. We're all called to this. We're all called to be preachers of the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. We need to do it personally. We need to personally preach the word, whether it's to a friend or whether it's to um, a neighbor or whether it's to a family member or whether it's to a spouse. We need to be ones who proclaim the good news and the word of God. We need to be involved in, in passing on messages that include encouragement that include challenge, that include edifying, that include correcting, that include rebuking, that include loving each other. We need to do those things, taking the word of God and proclaiming the good news that there is in the word. First of all, the people in salvation, but then also in our growth and growing up in Jesus Christ, the Lord. 
And so we're called to it corporately as a church, but we're also called to it personally. We need to open our mouths and talk the word of God to the people who are around us. There's another way we need to do it. We need to do it through our lifestyle. We need to preach through our lifestyle. A lot of people, you've heard people say, oh, if that's what a Christian's like, then I don't want to be one. That's because you're preaching through your lifestyle, right? If people come to you and say, boy, there's something different about you. What is it about you? I want to know about that. That's because you're preaching through your lifestyle. Maybe you've heard this statement before. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Um, Sir Francis of Assisi has been given credit for saying that. He actually never said that. So first, it's not in the Bible, and, uh, and he never actually said it. But it's an interesting thing because it's not true, okay? Because the text says, or the comment says, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. There's no if necessary. Words are always necessary. Always necessary. No one ever came to Christ by just watching you walk up and down the street and how you lived your life. There's not enough information. And so for the people who are out there going on, you just live your life, you just live your life, you just live your life. That's critical and it's important. But if we never open our mouths and tell them the truth of Jesus Christ, people will not get saved. But we have a responsibility to live in such a way that people would wonder why we are like we are, would ask us for the reason of the hope, and would see us with a bar that's so different than they are. So we're called to it corporately, we're called to it personally, we're called to it in our lifestyle. But it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. If you're gonna preach the word if you're going to be a person of God who is unapologetic about preaching, sharing the good news, there's a lot of preaching to yourself you will need to do. You will come out, you will, you will come to harvest on a Sunday like this and you're not sitting there going, well, that's what he needs to hear. Yeah, and that's what she needs to hear. Yeah, oh boy, I hope Bill's here this week because he needs to hear that. You'll be here going, Lord, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to me? If you're ever going to be used by God to preach to others, to be used in a, the, the word of God will be as laser in your life. And God, what do you want for me in this text? It begins by preaching to ourselves, carries on in the disciplines that we have Preaching the word is a, in a battle zone. Satan doesn't want you saying anything to anybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a battle that goes on in this whole field. And we need to be praying about the opportunities that the Lord will open up for us. And we will take his word and we will proclaim his word. But we will do it after it being bathed in prayer. Sometimes people say, well, I can't do it because I just don't know enough of the Bible. Well, you know a little bit of the Bible. Use the little bit that you know and keep growing up in the word of God so that you'll know more and be able to use more. You have to have the discipline of being in fellowship with other people so we can encourage and spur one another on and help each other and correct each other and preach to each other in that sense. And then you need to respond to God's word when it's a laser in your life and something speaks to you and, and you're like, oh my goodness, Lord, how could I have failed you in this? And you come in willingness and repentance and in submission and obedience to God and you respond to what he has to say and what he's doing. Unapologetic preaching, proclamation is critical. It happens corporately, but we are all responsible to be preachers of the word. Here's the next thing we want to see. Christ is central. 
Christ is central. Look at verses three to eight. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Christ is central. You know, one of the greatest risks in a church is not keeping the main things, the main things. And Paul in this text talks about two specific things we need to keep as a strong focus. The first one is, the first focus is that we have a focus on who Jesus Christ is. See, this church is not to be about the worship. This church is not to be about the building or the parking lot or the lights or... This church is not to be about the preacher. This church is all about the message. It's all about the message. All of those other things are used to support and encourage and be a part of, but we don't come to church for those things. We come to church for the message. And so what are the two critical things in this text? Well, the first one is Christ is, is central. Christ is central. A great test of a good church is, is Christ the center point. We're an all-in church about Jesus. And if that ever changes, you need to go find a church that is. Well, what did Paul say? What did he say to them that was so important? Because he said, this is of first importance. So it's not secondary. This is not something we think about on the side. This is the primary stuff. This is the first importance. He said, the first importance is that Jesus died. Jesus died. The gospel is being fulfilled as Christ came and suffered and died so that he could be the right and righteous payment for my sin. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is no remission for sin. And so a proper sacrifice had to be made. And Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. All the sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs and all the rest of it was just a picture was all a picture of what Jesus Christ would do when he would come and he would die. Show us Christ, we just sang. We just had communion as a memorial of who Jesus Christ is and that he died for us. Think about it. They took him, the spotless lamb of God who came to earth to suffer and die for your sin. They nailed him on a cross. His blood ran down. He died. He died. He was buried. He was buried. They proved that he was dead. They checked to make sure he was dead. He wasn't swooning. He wasn't unconscious. He was dead. And they took him and they put him in a tomb and they sealed it with the rock and a seal on it. He was dead. And he was buried. And if it ended there, we're wasting our time. But it didn't end there. Because of first importance was he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And he rose again. And Paul goes on in the text and he says, and he rose again. And there's all kinds of proof that he rose again. But if Jesus Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain. We're foolish people. 
but he is risen. And he was seen and he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12 and then to the 500 and then to James, who was the brother of Jesus who had rejected Christ. And James came to Christ. And, and then Paul goes, if that's not enough, and then he appeared to me. To me, I was the one out there who was accusing the believers. I was out the one having them put to death. And he appeared to me. This is not bogus. This is real. Of first importance, Jesus Christ died. He was buried. And he rose again. I remember when we were in Israel in uh, 2013. I may have told this story before, but it was, it was one of those key moments in my life. So I'm going to tell you again. And uh, we were doing the journey through Israel, the first time I'd ever been there. And, and they said, somewhere along the way, it'll really dawn on you where you are, that you're walking where Jesus walked. It, it, it will just hit you somewhere along the line. And we'd gone through the trip and I was really impressed. And I remember where Peter kind of came out of the lake and he was restored. And that was kind of a neat moment for me to think about that and how far I'd fallen and all that stuff. But we were in the garden and uh, we were like from here to the traffic lights at the corner from the tomb, probably not even that far, half that distance. And, and uh, we were sitting there, about 200 of us, and we had communion there. Can you imagine? You're in there in the garden, and you're having communion. And I was asked to help serve communion, and we served communion. I was sitting there with, with my little uh, cup. I've got the cup in my office and, and a wafer. And I looked up, and I saw the open tomb. I was a mess. I was a total Mess. Susan looked at me like, what is wrong with you? I was, I lost it. Because I realized of first importance the focus of who Jesus is and what he did for us and what he's accomplished for us and how we're changed by that. We proclaim the authority of God's word without apology, and the first thing we talk about is the fact that Christ is central. Christ is the center of all of this. Every message I preach from here at some point has to bring us back to the focus on who Jesus Christ is because he is the center point of all of it. Well, why is that so important or what does that mean? Well, it's important and what it means is that the way we talk about it is exclusive. It's exclusive. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Not just people who believe like we do, but no one. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And then there is salvation for us because of that in Acts 4, 12. And there is salvation in no one else. There isn't another path. Trying harder, working harder, a different religion. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. That's why the message we have is so important and so critical. 1 John 5, 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The working of Jesus Christ is exclusive. It offers to us salvation. It brings to us a place of sanctification where we're growing up in Christ. That's the picture of I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm not even what I should be, but I'm on that journey. And hey, if you're like me, so often we think sanctification's about what we do. And it is, we have a part in it. How do we live faithfully? How do we move forward in obedience to God? But sanctification is also a working of God in our lives. In John 17, 17, it says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And as God reveals his word to us and we live it, we are being sanctified. It's a progressive thing that God is doing in our lives every day. 
Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering, he was perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. And then we look forward to the day will be glorified. The day will be with Christ in heaven, worshiping together. John 14, one and two, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And Christ has gone ahead to prepare a place for us in heaven. Psalm 23, six, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Christ is central to our church. Christ is central to my life. Christ needs to be the center point of your life. Proclaiming the authority of God's word, Christ is central. Here's the second thing, scripture is core. Scripture is core. Look again at verses three and four. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The scripture is core. The word is repeated twice in two words. When you see those kind of things, that's kind of like, oh, I guess this is important. I bet in accordance with the scripture, in accordance with the scripture. Well, what did Paul understand when he was talking about the scriptures? What did he have? Well, he had the Old Testament. So as he was thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ being the center, he was thinking of verses like this, Isaiah 53, five and six but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He would have been thinking about Psalm 22, verse one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning. He would have been thinking about Psalm 49, 15, but God will ransom my soul from the power of hell for he will receive me. So as Paul was delivering what he had received, he had the word and he brought it to them with Christ as the, as the focus. But we have the word We've got the rest of the story. We've got all there was ever promised to be given and we got it right down to the end of the book of Revelation and we hold it in our hands and we use it and we understand it and we believe it and we, we read it and we, because we have God's word. Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored up your words in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It's profitable. None of it's unimportant. None of it doesn't belong there. It's all there and it's all profitable. And it's profitable to do a number of things in our lives for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And then as followers of Jesus Christ, we're to be like newborn infants who long for spiritual milk so that by it we can grow, according to 1 Peter 2, 2. We have God's word and we're to take it and we're to use it. We're to proclaim it. Not ashamed. Not ashamed. We're to do it with confidence. 
God's word informs us and teaches us. It reveals Christ to us. It guides us. It reveals sin in us. It, it protects us. This book is not a systematic theology book, but it's a book that's filled with theology. Everything that could be known about God is not known from this book, but everything that we need to know about God is found in this book. In the front of my Bible, I received a, a thing a number of years ago. You know when you tape too many things in the front of your Bible, your Bible will start to fall apart, eh? I'm learning that, but it says, um, it says this. It'll be up on the screen for you to see. It says, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I'm going where it says I will go. God's word is milk for my soul. God's word is seed for my faith. God's word is light for my path. God's word is power for my victory. God's word is freedom for my life. When I read God's word, it brings me joy. When I study God's word, it keeps me from shame. When I memorize God's word, it purifies my heart. When I quote God's word, it defeats my enemies. When I meditate on God's word, it brings me success. When I abide in God's word, it gives me confidence. I am a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's who we are. Christ in the center, Scripture as the core. Well, it wouldn't be fair for me to have one of those and you not to have one of those. So we've got one of those for all of you who are going out today. You can take it and tape it in your Bible and yours will fall apart one day as well. It's not the truth, it's, but it tells you about the word of God and the verses are there and you can look them up and you can be blessed by it as I have been blessed by it. So those of you who are trying to write that all down. Should have probably told you before. God's word, what it talks about, we will talk about. We're not going to skip over things because they're hard or the world might not like them. What it talks about, we will talk about. What it supports, we will support. What it condemns, we will condemn. Even when that's not popular. And even when we need to do it in a way that's loving. And, but we're going to do what God's word says to do. And how it tells us to live best we can, moving forward for the glory of God. In sanctification, we're going to live it out. Christ is center, scripture is core, and messengers are called. Look at verses 9 to 10. Last two things pretty quick here. Um, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Messengers are called. Paul was out there, he was out there opposed to the church. He was out there persecuting the church, and he had a, he, he had a meeting with the Lord, and he got saved, and he was changed. And he says, I am unworthy. I'm unworthy. I say that every day. I get up on Saturday and I prepare to come and review my notes to come. And who am I to stand up in front of this church? I'm not worthy. But the Lord Jesus Christ changed my heart. The Lord Jesus Christ saved me. The Lord Jesus Christ is sanctifying me. So the worthiness I have is not because of who I'm, because it's not about the messenger. It's about the message. But God's called us to this. And God called me to be a messenger of the gospel to proclaim the truth of God's word. 
He's called you to do it in a different way, but we're called to it. But you're like, I'm unworthy. I'm, yes, you are. But because of Christ, he has made you worthy. 2 Corinthians 5 says, we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. And he loves to work in us and through us and use us. Messengers are called. And work is done by God's grace. I love that right in the middle of that, he says, uh, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am a son of God. By the grace of God, I am worthy because of his unmerited favor, because of his working in me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's a whole series in itself of what we are because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's accomplished for us. But Paul says it here, I'm, I'm unworthy except for God's grace. Ding, you're not saved except for God's grace. And it's God's grace that keeps us and we look forward to being saved and looking forward to glory and all that God brings to us because I am what I am because of who Jesus Christ is. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, just like Paul, you're called to these things. You're called. Next thing he says in that text is, I worked harder. He says, I worked harder than any of them. I don't think he's being arrogant about the people that are above him in that list, Cephas and the 12 and the 500 and James. And he's just saying, what God has done by his grace in me, by his grace in me, I worked hard for the gospel. I worked hard to proclaim the truth. And that needs to be our heart when we take hold of Christ and the centrality of Christ and who he is and what he's done, then our heart is to live out and to give back and to work hard for the fame of the name of Jesus Christ. Is that your heart? Is that your passion? When people look at you, is, what would they say? What would be the benchmarks of your life? Would they say about me that, in humility, Paul Whittingstall understood he was nothing except for the finished work of Jesus Christ who used him. He never gloated about himself, never tried to push himself forward, never. That should be the heart for all of us. We're unworthy, but he's made us ambassadors because of his grace that he's poured out on us. And then we work hard not to get saved, not to get saved, but because we are. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men. Well, the last thing is people are transformed or if it's important for you in the notes to have another C word there, you get if people are changed or people are converted, but uh, people are transformed. I look at verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, we preach, and so you believe. We need to be faithful to our part. Paul, at the end of all this, after he talked about all the hard work, he says, doesn't really matter whether then it was I or they. So we preach and so you believe. I'm praying that God will open doors in our church to communicate the gospel and people will come to salvation. I'm praying that God will do a work in our church that he will begin and use us even more to take his word and use it as we talk out to people that their lives will be, their lives will be changed. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. It's about the word of God. He says, um, you do your part and you watch 
You watch what happens. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believe. Now the response to the gospel is personal. You can't respond for someone else. Boy, it was so nice if we could just, for our kids, if we could just have what we have for our kids. You can't. It's personal. If you think you're going to stand before God one day and, and say to him, well, when he says, why should I let you into my heaven? I go, well, my dad and my mom, they, they took me to church all the time. And my grandparents, we were like, sorry, I don't know you. I know them, but I don't know you. He says right in the text, you, you. So we preached and so you believed. There's an action here where we transfer our trust from the things we hope in to the things that God has called us to, to believe in. It's too easy. There's no way it can be that simple. I have to do something. I must, I must have to work harder. I must have to try more. No, no. And so you believed. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. Try and work harder to get your salvation. Jesus Christ did it all for us. And he said, all we have to do is believe. And I don't care if George presents the gospel to somebody or you present the gospel to somebody or I present the gospel to somebody. When they get saved, we should be on the woohoo plan because it doesn't matter. The gospel is proclaimed and people believe and they get saved. And the question for you today is, are you saved? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? You personally, not your spouse, not your friend, not your family, not your heritage, not your church background. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's how salvation comes. Salvation comes when we believe. And if you haven't, you can today. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Understand he died for your sin. That was the first part of this text. He died because you were a sinner. He was buried. He paid the price for you. He rose again. That was the seal. That was the uh, certificate. That was the promise that everything he said was true. And all you can do is believe. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. When Christ is central, when scripture is core, then messengers are called and people are, are transformed. And that's why we are a church that's about unapologetic preaching, telling the story of who God is and then how we grow up in him for his fame. Well, so what? So what? The series, We the Church, is about challenging the church, us, to be the church, to be the body of Christ living out the things that we believe God has revealed to us are things we need to be about. Four pillars, one about the word, one about worship, one about prayer, one about evangelism. To be a church that's about three W's, about how we worship together and how we walk with Christ together and how we work for Christ. A church that's about the great commission and the great commandment. That's what God is calling us to. We don't come here because it's some kind of a fun society club where we come and just meet each other and have just a good time together. All of those, we'll be blessed with all of those other things when we come with a focus on the right thing and when we keep the main things, the main things. And God, our helper, with God, our helper, we'll focus on Jesus Christ. We'll live out of the truth of the word of God. 
So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, my challenge to you is today's the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But what about us? But what about you? I'm already, I already trust the Lord. I'm already saved. Well, what will the difference be in how you live as a result of what you, result of what you heard today? What will the difference be when you think about Christ is critical in how you communicate and how you talk to people this week? Scripture is core. Will every time you have an opportunity to talk to someone, they come to you, will you, will you talk about out of your experience, and I think you should do this, and I think you should do that, when God's word has told us what we should do? Even with followers of Jesus Christ, will we lead with the word of God? Will we be preachers of the word who are ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us for the reason of the hope that is in us? We the church, we're not the only church. We the church and we're called to live out for the fame and the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today and the challenge that it is to us. Uh, Father, a new series and we'll look at worship next week and just what an awesome privilege it is to come before you and lift our voices as an audience of one. But today, Lord, we've been taking a look at uh, our responsibility to preach the word. Uh, Paul did it. And he, people were changed. Father, you can do in us what you did in him. And so we're asking God that you would work in our hearts. We would not take a message like this lightly, but rather would let the weight of it sit on us and come over us. Father, as we go back and consider communion today and what that pictured, we think about at the cross, at the cross, Lord, you've done it all so we could have life. And now we live our lives for your honor and your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.